Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to uh, the FYA interview series. Uh, this episode today is a super fun one for me. I've known Bart for a long time. Uh, and we've worked together several times artistically, but we've not gotten to, to sit and have a conversation about what's made him who he is. And so um, there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't ever know about him before we talked uh, that you'll hear in this episode, um, as well as, man, just a, a history of coffee in America, um, the history of coffee in Africa, the slave trade, how it affected that. Uh, different things he's got going on musically and then his story uh, is just super interesting so hope you enjoy this episode and if you like it stay tuned we got more dropping this week on the FYA interview series they like me like Jesus oh, oh my god I'm seasoned uh, I think God I ain't plain he made me a zany way it's many colors he painted but this mind today that I'm thinking in full is so many hues I might have to get two double up on that juice here we Baby, are the FYA interview magic series uh, we have the homie Bart Jones, aka Maurice Henderson, aka Gucci Mane. Um, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Let's go. And obviously, we've known each other for a long time. But uh, what we wanted to do was, while we can't meet in person um, as a group collectively, we just wanted to take some time to get to highlight local leaders in our community. Um, so why don't we start with yeah. this? I think the, the best place for people to get a framework for who you are, because you have a lot of different angles to you. Um, yeah, we got I think the, stuff going on right now. <laughs> I think the best place to start, why don't you tell us about kind of where, where you're from growing up, what was your childhood like, and let's start there. Yeah, yeah man, so I grew up in Black Haven, Tennessee, See, you know, formerly known as Whitehaven. Uh, Whitehaven is an exurb, if you're familiar with the sociological term. But basically, what yeah. that means is it was a yeah. suburb that uh, has experienced white flight. And so, since that time, and not just white flight, I think there's been some degree of just wealth that's left in general. But at yeah. that point, it became like reverse gentrified, right? So it became poorer, um, more crime, uh, more density, uh, population-wise, things like that. So when I was growing up, Whitehaven was definitely past the uh, it's heyday. There's still some parts of Whitehaven yeah. that are beautiful, you know, Twinkletown, uh, some historic places there. Elvis's home is there, but we don't go there. We don't claim that, you know what I mean? Um, and so anyway, yeah, I grew up over there. I grew up behind, uh, I guess, an infamous uh, housing project called Pepper Tree. Uh, so I grew up in front of the square. We shared the, the back fence. Um, and so I kind of grew up uh, with, with a really, I guess you would say, uh, family the stereotypical kind of Cosby kind of family, you know. Um, right. I guess it's a type of blackness that's not very popular these days, but, you know, two-parent household, both had college degrees. Um, you know, my parents love Jesus. They're very much so, like, you're going to college. I was a straight-A student, um, you know, got a scholarship, full scholarship to college. So, but because of our context, you know, we were juxtaposed with, I feel like I had the best and the worst of the experiences of the black community in some some instances where, you know, I had family members and people who were college educated and grew up around a house full of books. At the same time, I had family members who were, you know, struggling on drugs and gang involved. And, yeah. you know, we saw people get jumped and lots of, a lot of people, you know, found dead bodies in the neighborhood. But at the same time, you know, I had an opportunity to get lots of mentors and access to capital for me to be able to get a scholarship to college. and. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting experience. Um, 
you know, but I loved it and it shaped me. You know, my pops grew up as a real musical family, real creative family, but also very strict. Right? My mom and dad didn't play no games. So it's no, no secular music in the house. What was your introduction to hip hop? Like, I mean, obviously Memphis, you're kind of growing up with it just permanently around, but what, do you remember yeah. the first, the first hip hop song or artist that you were just like, it, 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 it was something different for you? Man, I really, I really can't remember I remember my first real interaction with uh, when I consciously I was at the barbershop. Shout out to Big Mike. Um, you know, it's my been my barber my whole life. Uh, we shout out to all the black men right now who can't go to the barber. It's, you know, it's a travesty. Uh, <laughs> they're wrong to keeping folks in right now. But um, well, we, I remember we got we our had, son's haircut the day before the quarantine started. Bro, we knew. <laughs> it's it's sad right now, bro. So um, yeah, yeah. The, Yo Gotti had ju just dropped. I think it was the white tape. Okay. And um, I remember I was just really fascinated by the whole piece around it and, and like hearing people talk about cocaine and the white car and his white clothes. And I think that I, I was just really, really fascinated by that because it was so foreign to what my family was about. Um, but so yeah. many of my cousins, neighbors, friends, church members <laughs> were on that, you know, like, uh, but I definitely grew up in the church. So like, for me, um, I also was exposed to Christian hip hop really early, probably earlier than when it was cool. So I, the first Christian rapper I remember was BBJ. I don't know if people know about that dude still, uh, but he was like a Christian biggie. Right. Um, no, I, I listen. I had. Uh, I, I used to. So download, yeah, I, mean, I would download mixtapes the same way. Like we did have a, you know, thirty different artists on them, and I, I mean I don't remember yeah. a lot of his stuff. But I remember BBJ from back in the day. Yeah, bro. He he used to he do do spit, bro. And it was definitely interesting to me. I feel like all the Christian hip hop I got really put me onto some more mechanical, uh, like more dexterous flows when it came to like lyricism and stuff like that. So people like mm -hmm. cross movement. Um, yeah. A lot of those dudes, lyrically, where I would say, like, you know, they were doing flips, backflips around the, the music contextually that I was around here and playing cars and stuff. Right. Um, I mean, Southern hip-hop has its own pocket, its own flow, and within that, you have people yeah. who are acrobats, like Andre, and a lot of people, you you know, and um, people like Juicy J, or, like, it's a lot of people, you know, who do crazy stuff, but for me, I was like, that. it was cool because I feel like I got exposed to the bounce and the pocket of southern rap and the soul of like blues gospel music contextually uh stacks stuff like that but then i also got a, a big line of lyricism um and experimental stuff from like the christian hip-hop i was listening to which was fairly underground and really influenced by a lot of like the five percenter movement and stuff like that right, right. Uh, in the north so it's interesting man hip-hop has always been something i've loved we used to freestyle at the church you know mom and dad yeah. would be like it's time to go so um <laughs> <laughs> we of course that meant 30 more minutes of waiting in the car when they said it's time to go get in the car so right. we all just piled in the same car and we like turn on a song and just freestyle try to find a part of the song that didn't have a beat that didn't have any words and just freestyle over right. that right right so i probably did that since i was from like 10 to 17 every yeah. sunday <laughs> okay so tell me so about your family dynamic you have like i know your brother and then how, yep. how many siblings do you have uh one just one, okay, just one. One and so, sibling, but I got a lot of play siblings, so like people who used to stay with us. Um, right. My homie Matt, you know what I mean? He was with us every week, you know. Um, my dad was like a father figure to a lot of dudes in the neighborhood and dudes in our community, so like it would always be somebody 
that was like my play brother, pay little brother yeah. who would be spending the night at the house and stuff like that. So it was yeah. it was a real community feel in Whitehaven, you know, like we yeah. all were kind of like each other's brothers and sisters and everybody was everybody's mama and daddy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. Julian, y'all are both musicians. Tell me about college. Mm -hmm. Did y'all go to school together? Same place? No. Well, yeah, for two years we did. So I got a scholarship to Wheaton College, which is like a liberal arts college outside of Chicago. Um, and so my brother came two years later. They A lot of these colleges like that, like the whole family thing. So if you get in, it kind of helps open the door. So mm -hmm. my my guy sister, actually, funny story, this, these are the same guy's sisters who, when I was three, we used to live in Kentucky. They visited me and told me if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell. And so that was the conversation I had before I gave my life to Christ in like a Kroger parking lot in Kentucky. So those same guy's sisters were going to the college. And so I heard about it through them. Uh, okay. Shout out to the forts. And so I went to check it out, applied for the scholarship, got the scholarship. Um, my brother applied for the scholarship two years later. He got the scholarship. It was like a academic scholarship that was directed towards African-Americans. So it was still competitive, mm -hmm. but it was specifically for African-Americans who were like academically yeah. exceptional. So we both yeah. got in, man. Shout out to that. Shout out to mom and dad making us do our homework and read books awesome. and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that experience was cool for me though, because I think it exposed me to two things. One, it exposed me to um, the integration of Christianity in the arts or my faith in the arts, which was something that I'd always seen growing up but never had like a I guess a theoretical baseline for as far as how yeah. how far it could play out to entrepreneurialism um and within that context it exposed me to a lot of forms of uh ways just businesses that I wasn't exposed to so like graphic design or artisan goods 20 dollar bags of coffee you know like those are things that I wasn't right. exposed to growing right. up. but it kind of graphic design uh screen printing just the idea the idea in general that something that you make with your hands um is worth more than something that's made on the factory line. Yeah. And I think there's a basis for that in the Imago day, right? That we have inherent value from God. And so when we create something that value is transferred and it's worth more Ooh. when you have that personal. So I didn't have the, the theological Ooh. foundation for all of that. Uh, but where I was growing up, you know, my uncle used to set up at the Southbrook Mall. He was in a Jonica, which is like a Pan-African tribe that was started okay. here in America in the eighties to try to rebuild African identity formation. And so he used to sell handmade beads and goods. But, you know, when we were growing up, we saw this ghetto because you made it by yourself. It's not from an official company. But the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, uh, the economy was totally different in this small suburban town outside of Chicago where I, I remember walking right. into this little store and there were some of these little colored pieces of blown glass and like $200 a piece. I was like, for that? Y'all paying, you know, these old <laughs> white ladies coming in and dropping bands, right. bro, on these little right. rinky <laughs> handmade it's artists i was like yo my uncle could have been making bank on these handmade pieces of jewelry <laughs> you know just the, the economy was different so that's number one number two i think it definitely opened me up to racism like memphis is 67 percent mm. black city so you know we love dr king we used to go down to march i told you my uncle was very conscious but it yeah. was just all contextual things for me it was just kind of background noise everybody i knew was pretty much black all the white people i knew were nice and so I didn't really have a framework for racism. What I did have a framework for was like how your moral values affected your life, how how your decisions affected your life. And so I would say like I grew up pretty conservative. Um, going into an all white setting, a majority like I knew all the black people. That's how white we was. Um, <laughs> so we so I knew all of them like by name, personal basis, phone number in my phone. So like that exposed me to the experience of being a minority in a minority city. And once I experienced yeah. that, I started to notice some systemic issues. I studied sociology 
in college too. And so all those things kind of gave me a context and opened me up to, you know, the evils of white supremacy and things like that. And so really got deep into act activism and racial reconciliation and like ethnic empowerment, identity formation. That's all stuff I appreciate that I, I don't know if Wheaton did that on purpose or not, but the Lord used Wheaton to kind of lead me down that. And I met a lot of really firm biblical brothers and sisters, got exposed to like Carl Ellis Jr., um, Tom Skinner, um, a lot of cool people, bro, who, who did some good, who done CCDA, um, yeah. John Perkins, actually got a chance to meet John Perkins in person and serve at the CCDA conference, met propaganda there for the first time when they were in Chicago. So a lot of great things that really set the foundation for, you know, all of this, right? The coffee, yeah. the, the education, uh, the music, it was all kind of, a lot of that, that those seeds started to bloom at, in college. So, yeah. So, man, that's amazing. So do you remember what your first experience was as an activist? Like what, what was the first thing you did um, mm. that, that in some way was, was attempting to bring about change? To do change? something? Well, yeah. So um, I remember I was a freshman and there was like a racial reconciliation group. And, you know, I felt like these, these issues were easy at the time. I wasn't deep into sociology and I hadn't really tried it. And I feel like a lot of, you know, I still have a lot of black conservative friends here and no shade to them, but a lot of people who haven't ever been in a context where they're a racial minority or really don't know a lot of white people on a personal basis. Yeah. And so they haven't had to have any, any difficult conversations about race with white people. They've only had conversations with black people who are talking about racism. And so like, I remember I, being that type of person growing up in 70% black city, right? I'm here and I'm like, oh, I'm about to have this conversation. Oh no, you guys, you guys are doing it wrong. Here's how you do it, it's gonna be easy. And I remember my first time um, they asked me to join this like racial reconciliation group called Solidarity on campus. And it was like a student group and we would do like stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll join, it's gonna be easy. And I remember like we hosted this event where we, uh, it was basically like a privilege walk. So everybody lines up, it's like step forward if you've ever had a time in your life where you didn't oh, know yeah, what it yeah. is. So we did that whole simulation thing. And I remember people looked like the room was spread all the way apart, right? And um, fairly set, a, set apart by racial lines. And I remember somebody getting mad and like walking out. It was like a white guy, he got mad and walked out. And I was like, why is he mad? And I remember like, I think I went up and talked to him or tried to say, hey man, you know, let's just talk about it. And it was like, it was my first time really experiencing white fragility and how mm. like jagged those edges can be when you when somebody's framework doesn't work. And I'm like, yo, this stuff ain't nice, bro. I didn't know it got like, I thought that stuff was over with, bro. And so that really led me, I was on, I did that for two years. So I was on that. And then we, I joined a, um, another student group, um, which was basically about like urban missions and saying, okay, we need to go do something about these problems. So we actually brought um, Brian Loritz up to campus to speak, which was cool. That was his oh, first time coming to the week. Okay. Um, but yeah, those were, those experiences were crazy for me. I remember uh, Obama getting elected and um, I remember us, like I remember walking into like the little like community room and there were like all these white guys who were dressed in all black. And I was like, what's going on guys? What, why are y'all in all black? I was like, oh, the country just died yesterday. And I had just finished celebrating like mom, dad, so many people, grandma, just wow, we have a black president. So for our community, Man. even if you don't agree with all his policies, the reality of it, sure. it was like life changing. And then to walk into a Christian community and see dudes in black because the country died in their opinion, like, and was, that was in Chicago. Yeah, bro. So th that's what I'm saying. Like, literally, me and the homies almost drove into the city that night. So it's right. like, 
that was like people party all night in the city bro. so it was crazy and then i remember we i was also in gospel choir and i was a rapper on campus too and so like i remember it was uh black history month and um we were do we would do these things called uh like it was willie o chapel which was the name of our like black student union and so we would like talk about you know we would do gospel music we would rap blah 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 blah, blah. And for some reason on this particular thing, like all these people on campus started posting these like tweets about like, they're just making fun of all these people doing this, this worship. So one of my friends, she was like tri-racial. She was like Puerto Rican, black and Irish. And like, she was, she was really for her coming into her racial identity as a black person because she has red hair and freckles and kind of like beige skin. She was like, I've never really considered myself black. And we were like, yo, we want we want to go on this journey with you and like she was she was an amazing painter so she was doing this live painting while we, the gospel choir was singing I was like a bass and like this guy was like tweeting like yo her 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 painting is trash and like I'm not gonna get into her whole family story but like all these people like my, my Filipino friend they were saying that he looks like a like an Asian elf why is this Asian elf on here and like just a lot yeah. of really racist stuff racist memes they started like a, a, a Facebook group and so like we all like we legit boycotted class, bro. Like, we like a lot. Like, we had meetings. We organized. We did Man. like uh, we boycotted class. We boycotted uh, chapel. We had meetings with the president. Like, the new like it was on CNN. Um, like, wow. people were coming to our apartment because at that time I think I was a junior, and so like I said, I knew all the black people. So most of my friends were in leadership. I was in leadership, um, and so people were coming to our apartments, us and our sisters' apartments, like crying and I was like I'm never sending another black person to this college like it was crazy so I think that was my first time with like a crisis and feeling like we have to organize to address an issue systemically and create like uh policy changes on campus and okay that was crazy it was a crazy experience man people still talk about it sometimes it seems ridiculous like since I've moved into education and like my students die on a regular basis you know what I mean right. like Right. And now I'm like, right. well, we were mad about chapel tweets. But at the time <clears throat> in college, you know, you're offering your art. And Whedon had this big emphasis on worship and liturgy and, you know, embracing diversity. And so, like, we're doing this this very vulnerable act and people mocking it because of our race was yeah. like, it was, I guess it just, I guess worship was more more important at the time than it is now. That sounds weird. But, like, it was, no, like, the worst it, thing ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think about this, like, the stuff that was happening to you guys is a hundred percent racist and wrong yeah. and shouldn't have been happening. And yeah. this 2011, bro. Yes. <laughs> and 2011, 2012, like that's crazy. No. And the system that you guys are uh, teaching in and where you're experiencing like the, the evils of poverty and, and being face to face with that every day, that is also messed up so like yep. but it's not that one is more wrong than the other it's just that uh the, like the when there's so much physical danger that y'all are in now i can see how it would the contrast would be different but um but both are messed up so t all right yeah, so, so talk about talk about that so you you go from wheaton you get done at wheaton then you come back to memphis but at that point senior year senior year at wheaton i'm 100 percent done with racial reconciliation like i'm not on any i left all the student leadership groups I'm like, I got my cool white people. I got my cool black people. We finna go save the hood. Like, that's what it yeah. is. I'm 100% bought into like CCDA. So at that time I had found out about MTR, which was like right on point. 
with okay. what I wanted to do. So I had already applied for MTR as a freshman. I had found out about Crosstown, which was just getting started. So I like sent an email to them trying to work with them. I'm, like, I'm all about like restoring and re restorative actions in the hood. I'm not interested in trying to convince people in, to repent. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah. It's not my job. Yeah. I'm going to let you know. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to give it. I remember I had a tweet that I put, uh, not excuse a Facebook post that, that like Facebook kind of brings that stuff back to you. But right. I was like, yo, I'm done with trying to um, make people repent or convince people to repent. Every knee is going to bow one way or the other. Just letting you know. I remember at that moment, I was like, yo, I haven't seen any fruit from this labor. I haven't changed anybody's mind. Like the only thing left yeah. for me to do is sing Kumbaya and lick somebody's foot. And we just sang Kumbaya. So I'm not, I'm not licking no boots out here to convince nobody, you know, I've told all my hood horror stories. I'm not doing it anymore. And so funny enough, bro, like 2015, this guy, I remember, he was like one of my reasons why I like exited racial reconciliation. He like, uh, I had sat down with him. He was like a friend of a friend. So I knew him. He was like dating one of my friends who I think was black. I can't remember. So, but like he was one of those, he's a cool white guy. Never talked about race before. The conversation wasn't supposed to go left. It went left. <laughs> it was like, I'm making up stuff. That's not real. You guys are being too, that whole bag of conversations. And I remember being like, yo, I'm being so nice right now. I'm like not being mm. mean. I'm not pointing any. And I remember it, that was the point when I realized it doesn't matter. It's not about how I respond to this issue or how I say it. It's that there's yeah. sin in this dude's life and he doesn't want to talk about it. And I can't, there's no, there's no amount of niceness singing Kumbaya I can do. And for me, that was a the moment that did it. Any type of racial reconciliation cost for me. Forward, that was like 2011. Fast forward to 2015, dude hits me up on Facebook Messenger like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. But that conversation we had totally changed my life. And now he like buys all my music. So, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, wow. does that mean you want me to go back to having these songs? Because I'm not, I'm not going to. But <laughs> you have to make me do this. But it was definitely cool to see like, man, it really is the Holy Spirit's job with any sin, but especially yeah. or with, with race too. Like the Holy Spirit is going to work. We can be faithful. But our faithfulness is not going to make seeds grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's God's totally. job. Totally. Well, and I think that, yeah, I think one thing that I've been super aware of here in Memphis is, um, is the whole picture of the body of Christ. And so there are, there are those of us, and you and I both have friends that are the most hardcore hood evangelists or, you yep. know, in terms of discipleship, like they will ah. die to make a disciple and will dr yeah. you know, drive the devotion. That, that was not the same driving force behind what uh when i was starting out ministry and for a mm -hmm. long time i felt this extreme guilt for that and like now i understand the importance of discipleship hi the importance of discipleship and um obviously like it is a scriptural command that we're all given to to be able to um, participate in right but within that each of us have a natural propensity that we really um are able to to reflect the light of God, which then mm. uh, illuminates, like you were talking about the Imago Dei, the things in us that are uniquely designed, which then attracts other people to say, whoa, what is that? Like, let's talk about that. So yeah. I, there, are, there are those that are the Ravi Zacharias of the world who are out there with apologetics, and they want to sit in an arena with 20,000 skeptics. And like, they want to go toe to toe with, with bringing love, right. an exegetical yeah. argument, right? The smoke. Yeah. And, and, 
anyone yeah. who has ever heard him teach before would never disagree with his calling, right? Like that is clearly his lane to run it. And shout out, shout out to him too, because as I started to move more into like loving my own community and, you know, even moving, moving out of some things that I had learned that were, I feel like were kind of like respectability politics growing up. Um, like I had to, I was, I was interacting, you know, I, I didn't know if I ever said, I almost became like a Muslim, like I almost joined the nation of Islam. Oh, wow. Cause around this time I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. You yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah. I'm like, yo, this community sounds way more like the gospel than what I'm experiencing right now. And this is supposed yeah. to be like, we always touted itself as like the, the Harvard of Christian colleges, which is kind of like a crazy, but academically it was rigorous. I ain't gonna cap. Cause I was a valedictorian. Yeah. And when I got in the class, they were smacking my behind. I was like, oh. Everybody's about Victorian here. Okay, so like it was definitely rigorous academically, um, but um, yeah, man. I, I, but I the thing that pulled me back was I needed God's grace. But I'm grateful because you talked about apologetics and growing up um, in my like small, mostly black evangelical church in the middle of Whitehaven. It was like a black. It was probably the only black e free church in the nation. Probably I don't know. There's not a lot of them. Um, but we, yeah. Trinity, which Trinity, which was a evangelical church in Germantown, closed. So we had a couple mm-hmm. white guys come over and join, or white families join our church. And one of the guys was really heavy into apologetics and being a nerd. I was always into comic books and geeky stuff and reading books. And yeah, like I'm like 12, 13, we're reading the Case for Christ. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. And talking about like twenty five thousand manuscripts for the New Testament alone and that's dwarfing yeah. the Iliad or the Odyssey or all these other so like that foundation of really going through apologetics and then I was a part of this thing called Child of Exodus Fellowship and at the time I really wish they'd bring it back with my homie Chris Hare one of the first guys who disciple me white guy red hair cool dude he um he was really heavy into apologetics too so like we were learning about uh postmodernism I guess we're post post but at the time you know this is 2006 seven, 2006 yeah. 2005 so like, I remember I took college classes in high school because um, I finished my classes and stuff early. And, like, I would talk to dudes who were atheists. And we used to, like, black dudes who were atheists on some, you know, uh, five percenter or, you know, comedic scientist type stuff. And I was prepared. I was like, I'm fully confident, not on some, it's my grandma's faith. It was. But yeah. also, here's all this, this, like, scientific historical evidence. So when I got to a point to where I was disillusioned, with white supremacy and as Carl Ellis Jr. would say white Christianity ism I was not disillusioned with scripture and I was not disillusioned yeah. with the messiah because I was like these things are historically verifiably one plus one equals two mathematically yeah. correct things um and I had a lot of cool white homies who were like yeah white supremacy stuff so I was like so I'm not done with like all yeah. white people or I am done <laughs> with this like, be the holy spirit for this group of people um and so we moved back to Memphis probably up in 2000 top of 2012 I got a job at New Hope Christian Academy uh well shout out to Wheaton because like when they heard I was from Wheaton I feel like um that was like the plus like you went to Wheaton I remember we went to um second prayers because like the guy who was the head of school there at the time was like I guess he was showing me off he was like yo we got a Wheaton grad here which I didn't know Wheaton had juice like that because I had never heard of Wheaton when I went but right. I think it yeah, I think we got the sauce in like the white evangelical community. It's like a yeah, plug. No, that's so like that about that. So I went and I was at the school, and mind you, nobody in my community even knows what Wheaton is, right? So I have to explain it like a lot to right. you. Went to school in Chicago, not in Chicago, outside of Chicago, small <laughs> liberal arts. Billy Graham went there, but so, bro, this lady is like, he's like, oh yeah, this is our new hire. Uh, he went to he went to Wheaton, and this lady, this older white lady, looks at me, she's like, 
you went to Wheaton? I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, well, my daughter applied and she didn't get in. I was like, the like the white the like the kid in the hood was like, I guess your daughter's stupid then. I don't know what's <laughs> I can tutor her if you want. <laughs> but I was like, dang, that sucks. Well, it was great for me. And I just walked away. Um but yeah, I got hired at at uh, at New Hope. It was a really great experience, man. Learned a lot. That was my first hip hop club, and that like hip hop club okay. I was able to start there was a foundation for a lot of the stuff that eventually I wanted to turn our coffee company into. Like Dream, okay. bro. I'm hiring old students, ex, you know, people who I used to teach. Now I'm hiring them and using their entrepreneurial gifts to either design apparel or to learn how to be a barista or like long term goal. We gotta we gotta make some more money before I can do that. Right. <laughs> but that 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 position of like the intersection of culture and education and uh activism and my faith like really started i think in my career at new hope so shout out to them for giving mm. me the freedom to do that and um you know mtr then was the next experience and i started to learn about chris emden a lot of critical uh critical well i guess you could say critical pedagogy is the technical term but before i got my master's degree and learned a lot about other researchers who are intersecting you know, uh, racial empowerment through hip hop and education in the same space. Um, and so that was where I did, that's where I did kind of my like thesis in college on or in grad school on and, and that. And uh, I'm still a hip hop artist, so I'm still making music. I go work at Sherwood and Orange Mound, oldest black community in the nation. I, I'm sorry, yeah. Harlem, it's, it's not Harlem, <laughs> it's Orange Mound. Um, and so I'm still doing music. Um, but I remember when I, when I got my first job, I like, you know, I was on some pretty conscious rapidly rap stuff by the time I'm in college because I'm like fully into my artistic, you know. So I remember I'm kicking rhymes like uh, MC that we get it. The lane's way different. Restricted 1960 lyrics. Yo, they want to Jim Crow. The kids flow, but kids know. Love ain't got the color. We want to flow with the rainbow. We go with a pain go. Bend this rap. We stack these racks on tracks like Pringles. Muddy waters in the optics of the step. Got a hip hop seller and the men heavyweight boxes. For the, so I'm doing that type of stuff and I'm kicking it with these kids in North Memphis and Orange Man. They're like, that's so whack. We want to turn up. <laughs> and I'm like, yo. So that challenged me again because, you know, I had gone from being the, the only black person and kind of like yeah. on this black excellence tip to like, I feel like it really pushed me back into the blues. And so now I, the album mm. we just dropped, Coffee Black, I think is a cool intersection of like this being this downward movement. Um, Who talked about this? I think it was Quincy Jones. And it was, um, oh, what's my, my guy with the, with the fro and the black and white suit all the time uh, and the glasses? Um, oh, I can't remember his name. It's slipping me right now. Cornell about. West. So it yes, was Cornell yes, West. And um, which his book was really formative for me. I, I feel like people should read his first book. There's a lot of gospel centeredness mm -hmm. in that. But um, so it's Cornell West, Christy Jones. I remember them talking. No, 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 scratch all that. It was Kirk Whalum. And he was talking about how the epitome of white artistry is, is uh, ballet. And in ballet, the epitome of that is being in point or on point, right? And it's about being mm -hmm. elevated above everyone. And in Black music, the, the ultimate form of expression is getting down. And so it's a downward movement. And so uh, it's crazy, right? So... The song Down Down on the album, which it's hard for me to pick a favorite, but Down Down definitely is in there. I feel like moving back to Memphis to me rounded out this experience because it showed me how to still articulate and express and be creative, but always to stay down with it. You know what I mean? 
Um, and to make sure I can hold other people down with my art and with business and even the way I articulated my faith. Like, I'm like, if I'm quoting, you know, uh, Abraham Kuyper or whatever, uh, with stuff we were talking about in grad school or college, but I can't express it. What's up, babe? Sorry. And I, I can't express it in a way that is understandable by my kid who's failing my, you know, seventh grade English class. Then it has no, it's not valuable, right? Um, and so the album to me, I think, is this cool thing that the Lord did. Honestly, the Lord's taking me out of these journeys where he's kind of allowed me to experience these pieces and for and myself to become comfortable with the artsy, weird parts of myself, but also to reconcile those with the downward bluesy spiral of my experience. So that's honestly where my artistic name comes from. Bartholomew Jones is, it's a um, duality, right? Where you have this ethnic Hebrew name, Bartholomew. Um, and then you have a very American black name, last name Jones, right? And so it's the experience of being in and of, uh, but not of, you know what I mean? And like that experience of being even African American and duality of that. So like, it's like, man, I have this like kind of like learned experience, got two degrees, I, I'm a nerd, but also like, man, I grew up in the middle of Memphis during, you know, 3-6 Mafia, the height of 3-6 Mafia and crunk music, crunk ain't dead, shout out to Duke Deuce yeah. um, and Yo Gotti. So like that, what does that music sound like? My, you know, family's into the blues. My dad played trumpet, went to the same school as Maurice White, all this type of stuff. Oh. But like, you know, at the same time, I also really love rap, I'm, you know, love words but I also love just the feeling and rhythm of you know trap music and so it's like the, I think the album is this cool experience where it's like me figuring out how to reconcile how I talk to my students and how I made disciples in my neighborhood and how I reconcile myself to where I grew up um translated into the music you know what I mean of this like this like okay you had a chance to be to be educated but also what did it mean to, to take joy in and to honor and to show a great gratitude and thankfulness for where you come you know, I see the beauty in that. So amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Crazy, so especially uh in light of that, talk about um <clears throat> once you talk about your you talked about your musical journey leading up to that. Where where do you hope for your music to be in the future? And what are you doing um in terms of like the, the artistic scene in Memphis? Where do you think the state of music is in Memphis? Yo, so I remember when I moved back to so like I told you where where hip hop was for me leaving Memphis, right? It was like, you know, me and the homies trying to learn how to juke and, and the, yeah. you know, at school and freestyling and everything was, everything was crunk music. You know, everything was 3-6 Mafia. Just that's what it was, uh, at least on, on like non-gospel non music. You know, yeah. gospel music was what gospel music was. You had Christian rap. But um, yeah, man, when I, I remember I was like 2011 and I, I found this dude named Scooby because uh, I was checking out Memphis music and I had really gotten into Big Crit at the time, which that was like a slice of home listening to Big Crit um, super loud driving through the suburbs. Like I used to try to annoy everybody. I'm like, yeah, I'm Southern, what? Like, um, and so that experience, like I, I started kind of look like, hmm, okay, there's some cool stuff coming back out of the South. So I was like, I found about Scooby and Scooby was like, I guess what you would say, like a lo-fi rapper uh, or, you know, lyrical conscience. But he was from Memphis at the same time. And uh, I reached out to him. I was like, yo, this music is blowing my mind because nothing like this existed that I knew about when I was growing up. So who else is doing this type of stuff? And he told me to check out this dude named Pro. 
this other guy named Cities of Veeb. Of course, now Pro is doing amazing with Unapologetic. Um, I mean, that B, Cities of Veeb. Actually, Cities of Veeb was at our release party um, that we oh, had no down at Arrive. Yeah, he was just there and he said he liked the music. He just, so that was dope. Um, but I just, it was cool to tell him how much his music encouraged me coming back. So when I moved back, um, I, once I started looking into pro, I found out about Chinese Connection Dub Embassy, yeah. which is like a reggae band. They, they did a lot for the like indie hip hop scene here. And so turns out I went to elementary school at our church elementary school with one of the dudes in that band. Um, so that blew my mind. Right? I was like, yo, David, one of the guys who's in the band, like we went to school together when we were little kids. So when I first time I went to see them play, I was seeing them play with like Knowledge Nick, IMC, uh, the Iron Mike Coalition. Uh, Virgos Smith Fiasco. It was a lot of really cool, creative music coming up. So, I mean, when I was single, bro, I moved back, back to Memphis, like, every night I'm at an open mic. The word was really popping mm-hmm. in. So I'm like, you know, Tanya Dyson was super dope. So I was like, I was just so, trying to, like, figure out what this new Memphis experience was. So I, I love the scene in Memphis. I would always tell people, like, there's more good music in Memphis than you can listen to. Like, yeah, I was like, I was one of those people growing up who hated the city. But I think in going to college and even my senior year in college, I was like, yo, it's not going to get better unless people try to change it. And um, like, like, I feel like God just, it was really like a change in my heart thing. Cause by the time I moved back, bro, I was ready to fight people about Memphis when I was in college. I was like, don't say anything bad about Memphis. (laughs) I remember one of my homies was talking to this girl and he went to her house for pancakes, which is really random, but it was like, yo, this girl (laughs) finna make me pancakes. So he went over and this other girl was there who was from Nashville. And he was like, yeah, my roommate, he's from Memphis, blah, blah, blah. And the girl was like, Memphis? Isn't that where people go to get shot? And I was like, she said, what? Yeah, every every time Thanksgiving, I'm like, y'all, it's been a minute since I got one in the shoulder. Got to head home real quick, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, but I, I really had a lot of love for Memphis. And moving back and seeing the scene here was crazy. You know, CCDE actually just experienced a big loss, man. Omar, uh, the lead singer, passed away yeah. a while ago. And so that was a big hit to the culture. But uh, keeping those dudes lifted up. My heart was really, man, to be in that community and to be to be a light for Christ. And so I really was about, like, just collaborating with people there and trying to show artistic excellence and also to speak to my testimony. Um, I really wasn't interested in being, like, a Christian artist. You know, I was really more interested about making disciples. Um, and being and being able to share a, a true testimony yeah. um, of the gospel in the context with people where I'm at. So uh, teaching in the hood and rapping with the RC kids, you know, <laughs> after I get off work was kind of my move until I met my wife. Actually met her at a at a concert too. It was my first time at a officially headlining a concert. We're at the Abbey. Um, okay. Um, and so that's where I met her. But Back yeah, man. When, like this, when Terrence used to help organize it. When Terrence, yeah, yeah. When Terrence was doing that joint, and shout so out Terrence Gray. Um, yeah, shout out to Terrence. He's actually starting a church now, man. So um, we might be able. But I don't know if we're gonna ever get another verse out there, dude. Duke, Duke, could rap though. Um, yeah. So yeah, man. That's that was that in the past. So I, I have a lot of respect for Memphis's artistic scene. It influenced me a lot. Um, and then I think now, man, it's like Memphis is, makes my favorite music, period. I'm always say that, you know, from Mono yeah. Neon, like if you're talking about the artsy stuff, like Mono Neon, Unapologetic, Don Lifted, Healy, yeah. like Healy. Memphis makes my favorite creative music, period. Yeah. Like I, Memphis inspires so much of what I do to like David Porter, what they're doing at the, the Consortium MMT, yeah. like being able to be um, in that mentorship program and learning from them, like. It's so much, bro. And then all the way to the trappy, anything you like in trap music comes from Memphis. 100%. And um, 
like a meme. I make mad beats unapologetic. I remember I was reading something he wrote in some article, but he was like, at the time, the great, like the most popular, well, the, they did research in front of the most popular genre was trap in the world. And um, then he said that the most popular song at the time was a song Drake had just dropped. And it was literally him just rapping over a 3-6 Mafia beat. Um, and so like, he was like, Memphis, anything that's dope in Memphis and people in Memphis should be putting and promoting that sound more yeah. because when people yeah. say, you know, Memphis, you know, my homie knowledge Nick used to say Memphis is the Mecca of soul, right? So when people come and think about soul music, they never acknowledge rap ever. You know, it's always the blues, it's always going backwards. But like, there's so many people who have taken that tradition and done so many things that are like worldwide creating huge waves. Um, so like, you know, I just put my homie, one of my freaking collaborators, he actually a and r this album that we just dropped. His name is, um, Milan Cradle, super dope dude out of Philly. Um, he actually grew up in DC and he's going to move to Atlanta, but like, I put him on Duke Deuce yesterday, just crank a dead and he's been uh -huh. listening to it nonstop. I'm like, bro. So I was, I was cutting a feature for him and I was like, I always try to pay homage, especially on a feature in some part of the quatrain, which is rapper nerdy stuff for four measures. Mm -hmm. uh, at some quatrain, I try to pay homage to, you know, crunk music and, and what's happened from here. So, like, I always try to give you some type of something that my, you know, uh, big, my, like, big rock, like some some type of flow <laughs> in my it, somewhere. I'm trying to pay homage, but you know, like, okay, we on this stuff with the with the guitars and we on this musical stuff. But I'm still from Memphis, and I still have a lot of respect for the culture and what is done here. So, I'm right now musically, man. I'm super excited about the fusion of these two things I see, where you got uh, people, um, like I said, Iron Mike called doing great stuff holding down a really conscious lyrical stuff um and then you have people doing like do deuce um yo Gotti's still doing great thing on that yo all these people doing holding down like gangster music right now and then you know you have people who are fusing those two genres and that's what i'm really yeah. excited about is like you know the fusion and, and what it would look like for us as a city to come together creatively and create these new things which i know you're about too man we we try we we got a record in the work you know um, yeah and a lot of the guys over at Visible are doing some dope stuff too. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's well, my guy's was, name? <clears throat> oh, Devin Westbrook. Yeah, Devin. Shout yeah, out to Devin. Devin. Like, he's doing some super dope stuff too. He'll be in that. Yeah, he'll be in that world in the next next year or two. It's too many to name, bro. That's what I'm saying. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really not fair how talented Memphis is. Like, it's not fair. Well, and I, I think one thing that was so um enamoring to me about when i first met you which one of my first this might have been you might have been the first person ever that i first first rapper I ever dj'd for live DJ'd oh yeah at the purple house <laughs> yes. that was crazy and so i i remember watching i was like this i'm watching kids like vibe to christian hip-hop for the first time ever. Like, I, I mean, I DJed at the school all the time and I would try to sneak in some stuff that was positive every now and then, but I had to be real, real careful what it was. And if it was more than one song in a row, I'd get booed off the stage like the Apollo every time. Yep. And so yep. uh, watching you on the stage and like engage the kids and like be able to be able to like have them vibe into your music. I was like, this, this is what um, God gave this ability for is to be able to yeah. create those bridges and to be able to, to bring people into that. So speaking of that, so I, I sent you a track earlier because we're on Zoom. Oh, yeah. The delay would be <laughs> messed up. So Bro. You, 
you are no this is not this is not me just blowing smoke because we're talking uh face to face one of the best freestylers i've been around um i appreciate you i appreciate you yeah selfishly i just love listening to it right like i just love listening to you freestyle but i thought it'd be cool there's a couple rappers we have lined up to have on and musicians we have to line up to be on this series and so every time somebody who has a a creative bent i want to give them a chance to flex um and kind of show their abilities and so i sent you a track it's got four different beats um sloppily yeah. mixed together because i did it in a few minutes at home but um it's cool bro uh, okay so it's and let me let me give the credit to the artist first because uh i'm sure i'm sure this will not go viral or anything but uh to make sure that yeah. nobody's trying to rip stuff off i did not make yeah. it myself um the first right. one of my favorite artists he's in nashville but it's amerigo gazaway do you know about him i don't bro and uh, okay. bro, the crazy thing is he has so many concerts lined up all the way through we were going to be doing a concert with with my homie joshua in nashville oh. um like in in uh june so it's kind of sad but i mean when when all this ends i, I want to i definitely want to connect with him what's his name yeah well amerigo gasway i do not know him personally i just stalk him online because he's a, he's amazing and what he does is he takes uh uh kind of classic hip-hop albums and then classic soul albums and max uh mashes him up and so yeah uh he did one with common and stevie wonder and he called it the, the sixth wonders that i think the track that i sent you um or si- the sixth superstition or something like that so he took superstitious okay. and then uh some some element of common stuff and then they he fused them together but he he always releases the album with the lyrics and then he releases the, just the instrumentals and he's an he's an artist too so he plays bass on some of the tracks and he he breaks the drums That's up dope puts in more hip-hop patterns amazing so amerigo gazaway check him out um i try to link him yeah. in, the, in the comment section when we post this um the second is a kanye beat the third is a swizz beats uh, one of my favorite producers of all time uh, uh ti beat and the last one uh is from three six so uh why don't you hit play on the, the track do your thing let's let's see your freestyle let's see yeah we might wake the kids up with this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Wait, nigga, beat the drop. Uh, yo. Yo. I'm finna kick it. The cops stay black. Voodoo be frog rivet. They so lack. I can never stick it. I can never lack. What I got inside, I give it to you. Crack. Uh, step. Might hit your mama's back, but I know what it is. God heal me like that. Resurrection. When I step up on the microphone, no one best believe I get it when I'm sitting in my home. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, we finna be uh, on the free. In a minute, just wait on me. Uh, I'm coming out the house. Let you know we all gonna be good. And we all in the hood, but we all know we should stay inside like the mayor said. But when it's time to go, man, we bust that leg. I protect my own family. I'm never playing about it. And when I'm in the city, you know we steady be about it. Uh, the connection strong. I stay on when I rock the microphone. I flex the big arm. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting on the next beat. Here we go. Bring the heat. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, this just slow down. I right, have time. Yo. Uh. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Uh. They told me stop. I never could. I'm back with it strong, growing like they ever would. Handed by the water, they keep me in my own place. You know I got the revolution for the new lace. Many pretty people wanna be appointed, but I can never stop with them. The place.
it's real good and I'm feeling hip rhythm, hot venom, you know I never stop cock it on, uh, uh, your secrecy when they spitting with these people, but that can never be man, they too bleed evil, I can't stop it, I go up higher, and then I stay with the steeple and I pray to the Messiah, cause you know I'm in a place and you know I'm never lying, uh, yeah, I ask man when I kick it, kick the microphone one, two, when I lick it, uh, it tastes good and I feel it in my spirit, sweet to the body, sweet like syrup, uh, syrup, however you say it, I spit it, I kick it on the microphone and yeah, I'm living, about the people telling me that I can't go outside, but I know I'm saying good, so I'm feeling in the vibe, but when my moment come, we bringing everybody up, you know I'm never stopping if you bring in that body up, uh, I bring the kick and the one and the snare, just believe I'm on the place, and I'm chilling with my hair real long like Samson, and one, when I'm on the court, just believe me, I'm mad, son, yeah, bring them out, bring them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it dropped to the joint, was crazy. Yo, yo, okay. Yo, we still out the top with it. Yeah, uh, bring them out, but I can't. The mayor said we won't, but I'ma still do the thing even if we strong. I never could stay down like my daddy's funk. You know, I'm good with the earth, wind, and fire, and crack. Uh huh. Bring the trumpets and the snares and the elements. I feel it good, never ever scared with a kid. Uh, I go up two switch with it, can't do it. Man, I come with the kick, flip with it, uh, cut a note like we used to do up in the grade school. Feeling real good, best believe I never play fool. Let's just bring your own too. Let's just bring your own food. Gotta eat, get up on the plate. Yeah, we all good. Cooking on the barbecue, got the dry rub with it. And I feel it good, wife giving me the love for it. Got two kids, two children, and I don't play about them. You know, we bring in the city, and then we slay about them. Anybody wanna step up? in the vicinity when i kill him just believe if you playing with me uh i rap slow on the one and the two i bring a snare hip hop up in this situation i'm never ever scared black haven tennessee yeah we finna yeah we finna beat yeah uh, I remember we was waking up in the day. They was coming outside, spraying all the AKs. I can never, ever play with the people doing that. Mama still go to school. Gotta go and hit them ass, hit them A's. Never D's and a S when I please. Just believe. Step up in the library, getting these, stacking books, stacking cheese. Now I'm bringing all the cheddar, and I'm trying to get the hood, kicking pockets so we better. Yeah, uh, that's lasagna. You ain't understand the flow. When I flip it, then I kick it, and I'm never finna go. Yeah, I'm never going back, and I'm never getting ghosts. If we talking holy spirit, do you know I'm with the most? Want the smoke when they come in? Just believe I brought my drummers, and I'm bringing it down. I'm feeling fresh like I'm Obama. Uh -huh -huh. They told me they bring the blackout like it did. Hold up, wait. Man, I'm doing this. You acting like you said. Hold up, wait. Yeah, I do it. Just believe it for the people. Yeah. Uh, when I'm packing, not the fuse. It's not a steeple. Not a steeple. But I do it, though. Hold it in my city. And you know I'm feeling good. Never feeling Itty bitty down big dog with the big ball with a big mop coming in got a big swat so don't get locked yeah when I'm coming for my city I don't play about it uh, in town to the key yeah we straight about it copy uh, black and then no sugar no cream just believe I'm never doing that don't put it on my dream nah I, it's the team yeah I Bartholomew Jones it's a name kind of weird but it being yeah it's bright like a gleam from the sun and the sky and the gods bringing blessings for the team Slice the pie. Okay, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Hey, what are we gonna call this, bro? We gotta, we gotta have a name for these joints. I look, you, you gotta, you. I, I'll give you the naming rights to this one. You can, you can let me know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dope, bro. <laughs> okay, so last thing before we go, let me know uh, about the coffee 
where did your oh, well. coffee obsession come from? How did you get, and not just into where you, you like drinking it and you can be a snob ordering it. I, like right, right, right. going, learning the whole process, learning about fair trade, learning about roasting, learning about all that. Talk, talk about that for a few minutes and tell us about how you got into that. Yeah, man. So I, I got into coffee. I feel like I woke everybody up in the house there freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I got into coffee just in college. Like I said, I was like at a college around a bunch of hipsters when in Chicago. So like intelligentsia is huge. So the coffee culture is there. My dad always loved coffee growing up. Um, my mentor, Chris Hare, what up, my G? <laughs> um, you know, when I was in high school, we used to go to Starbucks. But I, I would drink coffee, but it would, like, be with the powdery sugar and cream at church. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The joint, yeah, the right. So I was, like, never, I never liked the taste of coffee. But I start, as I started to drink it more and more, because I'm, like, doing, I was an elementary education major, so I, like, had to learn about, um, you know, whatever. I had to do lesson plans and stuff. So I'll go to a coffee shop. Right. Um, and I'm an artist, so I'm writing rhymes and stuff in there too. You know, it, it just, I started to notice like certain coffee tasted better than others, long story short. Uh, and because I was pulling uh, all nighters, I was like, dang, man, like I can't do the sugar and cream. I'm lactose intolerant, so it would make me sick if I had these big giant lattes, you know, and I'm staying up all night. So I started just to take that stuff out. And I, then I really started to see, like, oh, this coffee tastes trash by itself. Why is that, right? So I told you I was a nerd growing up and stuff. And so I was like, man, I started to do research. Um, I had a, uh, I went to a Korean church most of my time in college. Uh, so shout out to WAC, Western Alliance uh, Church. And so one of my our small group leaders was a, used to be a barista. She was like, have you ever tried an Americano? So she made an Americano. I was like, yo, this is amazing because it was so clear and it didn't have the like bitter, gross note that a lot of coffee had, yeah. which I thought was a part of how coffee tasted. It's not. That's the process that people put the coffee through, but we'll get into that later. So, um, it, anyway, all of that led me to just like starting to buy my own coffee, brew coffee at home, try to find local roasters, people who had different brews, and you know, I started learning coffee comes from different places, not all the same, and you know, depending on where it's from. Long story short, I moved back to Memphis, uh, get married to my wife. You know, I'm still on the coffee tip. Our first date was at uh, Bluff City Coffee, which at the time I thought I had the best latte in the city. It doesn't, but shout out to them for letting. <laughs> Uh, and so I was just on this journey, man. And I remember she bought me um, an espresso machine our first Christmas we were married. And I was like, yo, you spent money on like something I'm interested in. Growing up blue collar, like you don't spend money on interest right. or the right. arts. You spend right. money on needs and necessities or you on gifts, you know? So like yeah. my wife doing that kind of gave me permission to like buy, I got like seven different pour over things to have. <laughs> her doing that gave me permission, I feel like, to really yeah. buy Winky um coffee so then i probably dropped like three or four bands on coffee it's just like subscriptions going to shop three four shops a day buying hella bags and just getting into it nerding out and as i was in this process I, I, there's a question that was always in my mind i was like damn why am i the only black person like the more i started to learn about it eventually i realized oh this is an african product right it comes from yeah. ethiopia later i found out it was stolen from ethiopia or from africa specifically uh, by two Dutch spies, so the story goes. Wow, like wow. So it's like the history, you know, people debate on how it how it got out of Africa, but it was discovered there. And eventually it becomes a part of a lot of these countries' colonialistic efforts in Europe. So whenever, you know, France, Portugal, England would colonize a place that had a climate hot enough, they would plant like three or four cash crops. So they would plant sugarcane, they would plant corn, they would plant cotton, tobacco, and they would plant coffee. Um, and so that's how all these countries, you wonder why it's all around the world. 
It's because all these countries were colonized. <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah, yeah. planted as a cash crop to basically perpetuate slavery and have the indigenous people pick it wow. um, and then they could flip it and make a profit. So it's really drug wow. dealing, to be honest with you. Um, and the more I got into it, I was like, yo, this is this in Ethiopia, it's not a it's not a commodity to be sold necessarily just to make profit. In the homes, it's a cultural practice. Yeah. And so like it's a thing that happens three times a day. The whole family comes around, you invite your neighbors, they roast the coffee fresh at home, you know, like Ethiopian moms, Eritrean moms, um, Yemeni moms, like these women are like five different coffee professionals in one. Like they wow. source the coffee because it's grown by their neighbors. Uh, they roast the coffee, so they're a coffee roaster. They prepare the coffee, so they're a barista. And there are many coffee shops because they're serving it for you. And, like, so they're doing all this stuff. And it's just natural, cultural information that's known to them. You know what I mean? The different varietals. Yeah. And so, like, man, this is a beautiful part of Black culture that's missing because 1616 coffee is stolen. 1619, the first Black people who are stolen land in America. So now you have this perpetual wow. separation from Black African-American culture <laughs> and Black coffee and Black coffee culture. And so our whole vision, my vision that the Lord gave me was like, man, if we could reunite those things, I think it would be a beautiful thing. And if that happens for Black people, I think we could do in that same note, encourage all people to connect to their origins and how God created them to be and to yeah. move away from the sugar and cream the way the world wants them to be. Um, and so that's kind of the whole message, you know, um, that we have with it. So we have an Ethiopian coffee. We were in the studio with the homie. He was like, yo, we were all coffee nerds. He was like, yo, what if we came up with a coffee and coffee for you tonight? <laughs> and we were like, that would be hilarious. And so we did it. Here it is, Bougie Man Coffee. Uh, and the uh, so, yeah, it's one of the two product lines we have for our company, Coffee Black Bougie Man Coffee. So our first roast is the Ethiopian roast from the Sadamo Gucci region of Ethiopia. And then we also have a line of apparel called Brew Culture. Um, and so all of that is like clothes, music, um, you know, mug, any type of creative art that is about this culture created from a coffee inspiration. Um, with black people in mind, it's kind of the whole vibe we're doing. Hip hop culture, just trying to make that live again, you know. Awesome, man! I love that. Hey, I cannot thank you enough for coming on with us and and just yeah, sharing, bro. like spitting, talking about your life, sharing all this with us. Um, tell us where we can buy your stuff, and then we'll link it in the post whenever we post it. For sure, coffeeblack.com. You can go get your Gucci Man coffee. Um, we got apparel, you know, all this stuff is super important for us. We're a black owned business. It's like me and my wife doing all of this. So yeah. it's huge specifically now during the economy yet, because we were invited to the specialty coffee conference, um, to do a pop-up. So that's important, but that was just canceled. So we spent, I was doing the math yesterday. We, we spent around, uh, $1,600, like preparing, um, apparel, merch, uh, flights, trying to really make the best out of that trip. And so we pretty much sunk all that uh and so we got a lot of we got physical cds we got shirts we have uh hella coffee and stickers and stuff so any support is really helpful in this time because we're just trying awesome. to recoup the losses. absolutely well, and man, on a positive note the album just dropped we hit 10k on spotify that's like 400 dollars. so it's not a lot of money but we hyped though because yeah but yeah, and I feel like once once you start getting into the double digit thousands, like it starts to exponentially jump. So that that's yeah, amazing, the, man. Congratulations. The key, thank you, man. The key is doing that monthly. So y'all go okay. stream Coffee Black the album. Yeah. Get your favorite song, throw it on overnight. You know what I mean? <laughs> Put it in all the. <laughs> I hear you. I, that's amazing. That's amazing, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We will yes, uh, we will talk to you again soon, and uh, hey. we'll all go buy Coffee Black stuff right now. 
Hey, I appreciate y'all. Let's make coffee black again. Love y'all. All right, bro. All right, see ya. The spirit come inside. He tell us unlock all our lockets. We just shine like Coco Hughes. Tasting got many hues. Coffee stay with the blues. But I come back and choose to be what I'm made to be. And they can never take the maker's gleam up off me. Uh. Coffee stay black just like me. Don't need no sugar. Don't need no cream. Coffee stay black just like me.